From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. But right out of the gate, I want to get to this because this has been the biggest story in Canada this week. The accusations from the Prime Minister that India could be behind a very significant killing here in British Columbia and the reaction from it. I'm kind enough to be joined by Moninder Singh. Thank you, uh, Moninder, for making time for me today. Thank you. appreciate you having me. Well, uh, as a spokesperson for the BC Sikh community, I, I guess my first question is, what did you think of the Prime Minister's announcement yesterday? Was it enough? Well, I think uh, the, the thoughts and the kind of feelings immediately came to uh, some frustration. Uh, the frustration, I think, stems from, uh, you know, the 40 years of almost uh, raising this issue um, and then taking an individual that was being warned for over a year by security intelligence agencies that his life was at threat. Um, and then he had to die for this kind of revelation to come forward. And then on the flip side of that, there is an appreciation and acknowledgement uh, and a validation of what the community has been saying uh, for the last four decades, that this is actually true, that they are here, they do operate. And for them to make a move in a political assassination of this sort, it doesn't, to us, doesn't mean that they, you know, this is the first thing they've done here. They've built themselves up over the last few decades to kind of be able to, uh, to carry out an operation of this sort. So I think there was a mixed emotion, definitely within the whole community, uh, myself being one of his closest friends and associates for the last 15, 15 years plus. Uh, it was kind of a mixed day. Uh, the frustration was definitely there. Uh, and when, when you mentioned, is it enough? Uh, I think this is the tip of the iceberg for us, like as in the acknowledgement is there. The expulsion actually put some action to words when Bhavan Kumar Rai, uh, who was being deemed as the head of the intelligence wing of India in Canada, was removed from the country yesterday uh, or been told to remove, uh, been to leave. Uh, that, that's at least a concrete step. But we have three, three other items that we've raised with the government uh, that we would like to see steps on. And it's actually the protection of the Sikh community in Canada, but also just the Canadian uh, sovereignty as well uh, at the same time. Well, we'll get to sovereignty in a moment, but I want to talk about the Sikh community in particular, because I think there's a lot of people that are really listening into this right now. And one of the fears is that there will be, and I hate to use the word retaliation, but there could be an escalation uh, with regards to India now. Probably a little embarrassed that the, you know, the leader of Canada came forward with such damning allegations. Do you expect there to be more tension uh, or, you know, what's the temperature right now in the community? Uh, the community is uh, like it's always been pretty uh, on this issue. They've, they've been waiting for <clears throat> I think law enforcement agencies on the case itself. These revelations yesterday uh, had people, I think, uh, quite quite tense. Uh, you're probably correct. Yesterday, when we were at the site um, of Hardeep Singh's killing, uh, where we were doing interviews from, uh, hundreds of people started gathering uh, just around this news. So. Uh, just out of the blue, we had like you know well over 500 people um, that gathered, and then all, all, about 6 p.m. last night, there was about you know 1,500 to 2,000 people that had gathered, and people were wondering like what's going to happen next. Like as in like now that this revelation is made, um, so the, I, I think the retaliation part from India, like I think they started their retaliation by you know moving to expel Canadian diplomats from India. Um, further escalation of like what their violence might be, uh, we wouldn't know. We would hope that the Canadian security agencies and the RCMP would be all over that. Um, and we as a community just have to safeguard ourselves that we won't stop speaking out about our issues. We won't speak raising, stop raising the issue of Khalistan and sovereignty. Um, and if we continue to do it in a way that we're, you know, we're afforded under the Charter of Rights, um, you know, we expect the same liberties, the same freedoms, the same kind of security and safety that any Canadian citizen would want. 
you know, I hate labeling, but India seems to do it for many different countries. They said to Canada, Australia, to the United Kingdom, uh, that they no longer want them to house terrorists and extremists and that they're getting safe haven in these regions like Canada. Obviously, India is going to deny this. And if anything, they called it absurd, the allegations from the prime minister. When you hear that and you hear the labeling, how do you respond to that? We're unfortunately very um, numb to this type of labeling um, over the last, you know, especially four decades. Uh, India, you know, for us, this is a propaganda tool for them. They have to, they have to come across and show that they have no hand in this, but they, they can't openly accept it. Uh, evidence, uh, you know, like as of their interference in this country is blatantly obvious. Though, uh, you know, in the 1980s, there's, you know, public reports of like uh, Indian diplomats under the guise of like Indian consulate services uh, operating here as spies. Uh, they were removed from this country. Uh, the NCSIOP uh, in 2019 was releasing reports to all MPs that India interferes in uh, interference in the 2018 election in Canada potentially. Uh, yeah, Judy Thomas just a few days ago, few few months ago, sorry, uh, mentioning that uh, Indian interference is a real thing. So I, I think uh, they they will continue to kind of malign. They'll try to point that finger. The the question for us always has been is that does Canada actually take them seriously? Um, and does Canada actually bend the knee to them when it comes to this type of issue? Um, and unfortunately, in 2018, when Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, trip to India, he signed a bunch of security and intelligence sharing agreements with India that have really impacted Sikh uh, activists in Canada with being put on no-fly lists, uh, bank accounts being frozen, uh, being surveilled uh, and harassed, like as in like uh, uh, just through that surveillance online and other. There's a lot of things that are happening in the community because of this type of stuff. So we expected from India, our, our actually concern has always been like what Canada's response is going to be. And this is a positive step for sure in our eyes as to what's happened. But there are other pieces around a public inquiry, uh, you know, stalling out and freezing out these intelligence sharing agreements, uh, those types of things that we still want to see some action on. So 2018 opened the door, 2022-2023 is when we saw India really take advantage of that situation, and now you're asking for those doors to be slammed so that you can A, feel safe, but B, see that Canada's actually got your back. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think it's actually, it goes broader than the Sikh community. Um, you know, right now it's us, uh, and India's interfering in, in our affairs here, and they're kind of attacking, you know, like the the activists in our community. Um, our, our general fear is it's like it's just the undermining of, like, uh, Canada's sovereignty at the end of the day. Um, and that, that's the bigger kind of question at hand is that like if India is operating here, not only that do we need to feel kind of protected and safe in our country, um, like all Canadians need to know that. Like there could have been somebody with Mr. Nutter and it could have been somebody from another community. Like a lot of things could have happened in that situation. People, the public could have been harmed. But if India is going to go to those extents and they're going to you know harm Canadian citizens, um, it's not just uh, us right now. We're seeing this as a broader issue of foreign interference multiple other countries and we want to see the same kind of like impact on India like uh, that that public inquiry is so important to bring forward not just what's happened now right now but how India has been operating for decades and you know there's more reports coming out today about uh, you know in 2016 and 17 CISUS had actually an entire operation around the consul general in Vancouver um, and Amarjeet Rai who was the consul general at the time and this is all public information now as of this morning that they had an operation running on them and they had to actually stall it out because of the 2018 trip that Prime Minister Trudeau was making in February to to India. Um, and that's a question mark now as to why. And then nothing was ever picked up there. And this individual was allowed to operate and he was operating as a spy as per these reports and harassing the Sikh community, um, setting up agents that would work against the community here and undermine them and then report back. 
all of those things I think are very important right now for us to understand that, you know, not only does Canada have our back, but they have the um, kind of like the integrity to kind of protect like the sanctity of like the sovereignty of this country as well. Mm. Well, it's a story we'll definitely follow. And I do thank you for your time today and for opening up the way that you did, Moninder. Please come back again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Inflation is up and some are blaming rising gas prices. I'm Rob Fay. Welcome back to the Joe Bennett Show here on CKNW. Kind enough to be joined by our business analyst, Rob Levy. Rob, good afternoon. Hey, Rob. Good afternoon to you. Well, let's get right to it because when we see the numbers going up, well, of course, in August, a lot of people say, okay, well, where did that come from? Is gas price the main culprit? It was, and that was the expectation for August. But the problem with the data that came out this morning is it wasn't just a gasoline price story. And that's where maybe a little concern now is coming up again as we get into September and look ahead to an October interest rate decision from the Bank of Canada is that it was gas prices creeping up. They're still higher in September. I mean, you look at oil prices up 30% since June, and and that tells the direct impact that the consumer is going to feel and have. But, you know, there's still a broader inflation problem that's catching people's attention. You know, I think of David Eby sending the Bank of Canada a note. Then we saw Doug Ford do the same thing from Ontario, saying that they wanted to stabilize this, that they didn't want any more rent, or I guess you would say increases when it comes to um, the percentage points. But do we now assume that that might just happen down the road? Well, you know, the one thing, you know, it's always interesting about that, especially, you know, someone from like myself that wears an economist hat is the Bank of Canada is not political. So, you know, I'm sure for their sake as well, they'd probably want to see some stability in interest rates. But the problem is that they're just sort of dictating interest rate policy and adjusting to how hot of a Canadian economy we have. So yeah, I don't think it's a done deal, especially off this morning's inflation numbers. And, and that's what we saw is you sort of have to dig into the details of this report and see where the, the cost pressures are coming from, especially how they're hitting the Canadian consumer. Uh, but it's when everyone thought the Bank of Canada was moving to the sidelines, and that's sort of what the market showed us this morning, too, is that inflation and core inflation, even if you factor out some of the things like energy prices, it, it's still a problem in the Western world. And, you know, to give a couple examples, uh, mortgage interest rates are still similar to last month, up over 30 percent year over year. Uh, rents were up significantly, 6 percent, 6.5 percent year over year. And then you look at shelter as a component of CPI, and it's one of the fastest increasing components of CPI. So, you know, where it's not all a gasoline story, you've also got factors that are increasing inflation, but are partly increasing inflation because of higher interest rate policy. So I think the Bank of Canada has enough here to sort of take a step back and take a look, because if the economy is slowing enough, they're not going to feel the pressure then to raise interest rates. Rob Levy joining us, our, uh, I guess you would say our financial analyst here on CKNW. I want to get back to rents for a second because you bring up what you say six six and a half percent that to me is a little surprising i know that rent uh, here on the west coast has always been chaos but when i think of a canadian stats assessment um is it that bad across the entire country it, it, well, that's the one that I think to many people tells the uh, housing supply story in this country and the, the lack of availability or supply of housing and what it's doing to rent prices. So, yeah, it, it is a story that's that bad in this country. And, you know, there was a welcome announcement we saw from the government last week that builders kind of uh, applauded, saying removing the GST on purpose-built rentals. So there's an example of a way in which some more supply can come to market because that's 
essentially a direct cost saving for builders that are building purpose-built rentals. So there's one area of the market, but uh, absolutely, especially as it ties in uh, to the immigration story that we've seen in this country and the economic pressure. I mean, outside of an immigration debate, the economic pressure that's created when you increase a population by a million people a year, I mean, that, that then puts pressure on housing and drives rents up. So it, it, it's very apparent and it, it's evident in the inflation data. If you were the prime minister of this country, I'm going to put you in a different pair of shoes for a couple of moments. Here. I, don't, I, I don't speak French, Rob. That, speak well, French. that makes two of us if we're fine. So we'll keep this one English here. But the question that I have for you is what card would you play to, you know, try to stabilize this economy right now? I, I, would it be losing the carbon tax? Is there something up your sleeve? Like what would you do to try and offset what we're experiencing right now? Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting you say that because you look at the moves or the cards that they have played out of their hand and, and it's going after the political hot topics. So whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, focusing your announcements on housing supply and in ways in which you can create more housing. And there's a lot of debate around whether they're doing enough, but that's a political uh, maybe hot topic that they're then looking at. And then uh, going after the grocers. I mean, another one uh, and the lack of transparency, perhaps in this country, when you look at the number of grocers and competition in the Canadian marketplace versus what we see in the US. So not the fact that they they are price gouging. I don't know that anyone can say that with evidence, but just that there is perhaps a competition story in Canada that doesn't play out in the US. So those are two maybe political hot stories. And, and that's why we've seen sort of focus into them in the last week. I, the, the positive, you know, to circle back to the inflation data mm-hmm. is uh, it, grocery prices were actually something that came down month to month. They're still up over 6% year over year, uh, but we are seeing easing pressure in terms of price increases in the grocery store. Just not enough. Yeah. To focus on the groceries for a second, there were things like fruit, chicken, and cereal that grew at a slower pace last month than they did in July, but beef, coffee, and tea uh, accelerated. Yeah. And, you know, it's the continued pressure. And then especially, and this is why, you know, they don't factor in energy prices into when they look at core CPI, because energy then plays a part within that. And you factor out some of those, you know, extra variables when you look at a more uh, direct number. Uh, But, you know, it's sort of been that wild card month to month. And it's one as Canadians, you know, even when other pressures are going down, like there was the announcement this morning from Fortis and their utility bills are going to see a small decline next month. They're going into the fall because of lower natural gas prices in this country. But, you know, the ones that you see on a monthly basis visiting the grocery store and, you know, how much more you're paying for the same basket of groceries. Those are sort of the aha moments for the consumer. And I think that's why inflation is still very much very felt. I tried to switch to tofu and it was a one shop deal. <laughs> <laughs> right back to chicken and beef the next visit. But uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to save money where I can. But, Rob, thank you for shining light on this. I think it's fantastic to just get that assessment and and really just give us all listeners just some direction as to where the world is turning. So please stop by again and thank you for your time today. Hey, thanks, Rob. Nice, nice chatting with you. Rob Fay until 3 o'clock. Scott Chance is going to be doing the Jazz Joe Hall show at 3. Looking forward to having a chop-up session with him just a few minutes before we pass the baton forward. You know, we're talking SROs this afternoon, and part of the reason that we are is we're starting to see the uh, leaves change color. It's starting to get a few temperature, uh, a few degrees cooler almost by the day. A little chilly today. It's the first time that I had to go back into the house and reach for a jacket before I head into work. 
And it got me thinking about what is the game plan for our homeless community, those on the downtown east side and, and those across the province, you know, some of our most vulnerable. What are we going to do when all of a sudden they're going to start wanting to come indoors because the weather is no longer uh, to their favor? To speak about this a little bit more and just the situation as a whole, Dave Ham, Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users board member, Vandu, for those in the know. Uh, Dave, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Well, let's get into this because, you know, I know that you guys do a number of things and you guys have your finger on the pulse of the downtown east side in particular. The weather's changing. Things are getting cold. The city's going to say that they have enough beds, they have enough roofs to put over these heads. Is that true? And if so, can we get into the state of an SRO as well? Yeah, well, um, you know, I mean, um, it's going to take it to be extreme weather before there's going to be any uh, extra places opened up. And even then, I, I don't think it was adequate last year even. So basically, there is no real plan other than just to keep doing what they've been doing, which is not adequate, obviously. And the uh, the state of the SROs, um, you know, last year there was uh, fires. The Winters Place burned down with a couple of fatalities. And there was numer- numerous other fires and other ones. People don't feel safe in them. And not just because of the fire hazards, but also because of uh, the condition of a lot of them, right? There's black mold, uh, you know, vermin uh, of, of different types, you know, bugs and rats and, and things like that in some of them. Not all of them. Uh, you know, there's some that are okay. But uh, basically, when you're out there and you, uh, they, you know, they offer you something, it's like if you refuse it, then you're kind of, uh, you know, ostracized almost you know what i mean that's it's it's sort of like well hey it's something you can come inside but they feel safer outside when you're together right i've heard that from a number of different people and it is jarring every time that i hear it dave can we speak to the the man and then the woman and then you know i know children are a different ball of wax but when it comes to an sro is it just everybody dumped into a building or is at least there's some division and and i say this more from a safety perspective than anything well, yeah, there's some shelters, well, places that are specific for women. Uh, I would think the Vivian is one, uh, the, uh, it's, um, and the other one's the, uh, I can't remember the name right now, but they are specifically for women. They are allowed to have uh, partners, and, they, and it's also, they're allowed to have men guests uh, in those two, anyways, I know of. Uh, there's some spaces that are specifically only sister space. Uh, uh, there with the, uh, the the one place that's for women only, and then they have an outdoor space where they can actually uh, have an inhalation space for people. It's a big issue right now. It's going on about people that uh, that are smoking uh, substances are uh, you know they're becoming a real big part of the fatalities in the overdose crisis now. Uh, I want to stick with SROs just for one more second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the reason so, Dave, is because all of these SROs are run by a handful of organizations who get a significant amount of funding from the government. I mean, when you operate an SRO, there is no doubt money coming your way. That said, there has to be a standard that needs to be met. Would you say that those standards are, in fact, being met? No, not at all. And uh, we, 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 I don't know. It's probably pretty public knowledge about Atira <clears throat> being... Uh, like the Janice Abbott had to step down, and uh, that the, their procedures and the way they've been uh, running things—it's uh, very suspect. And when it comes to even the, their funding and how how that went about, I mean, if you put in a low bid, uh, and it's not even enough to cover what you need to have to use 
to to run the the, the, uh, the place, the SRO, then how does that work, right? It doesn't work, right? So for the last few years, I believe, I mean, that's there was a bunch of people from BC Housing that got let go, and uh, there's probably a good reason for that too. It had something to do with the bids and things like that, and how you know the smaller bid, maybe there there was uh, some exchange back and forth or something. I'm not going to be too specific about yeah. that, but people can make their own judgments on that and, and check, you know, connect the dots, right? Dave, if I was to rip this right down to the nub and start all over again, where would you start? Like, for example, if I gave you the keys to the mansion and I said, you know what, let's start this all over again, how would you build it? Uh, well, <laughs> I, wouldn't big let question. 20 years, <laughs> I would not let 20 years uh, go by of, of not keeping up with the housing stock and, and that, right? I mean, that's it's woefully like the the government, um, the Fed, the province, and the municipality have uh, not even woefully negligent in keeping up with the housing stock. And I believe it's because of the uh, the shelter industrial complex we call it, whereas in sheltering became the thing about how to how to house people, right? And then there was transitional housing. And now supportive housing, right? But no permanent housing, right? So what happened? Why did we drop the ball on that? It costs so much to have shelters. That money that every night, those beds, if uh, you had 30 days of that amount of money, you could house that person very well. You know, they would be able to afford the rents that are in that nobody can afford in the city here. It's interesting, Dave. I really thank you for coming on today and just sharing your thoughts. And uh, I just feel everything that you guys do down on the east side and across the lower mainland, uh, I tip my cap to you. I know it is not easy, and I know there's some heartbreaking moments as well. So thank you for coming on this station today and sharing some of your thoughts. Let's do it again. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's good to get the word out. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.